Thanks, Chris, and the musicians. It's good to, in the middle of all the chaos going on, uh, it's good to refocus uh, and to sing some of those psalms that, that point us to God. And I uh, just think of the, the psalms we've been looking at in, in home groups, uh, reflected in some of those words, Behold our God seated on his throne. Uh, and we know that <clears throat> that, is, that is true. Uh, right now, whatever may happen in, in our world. Well, we're now in that period of, of the Christian calendar called Lent. Maybe some of you have, have given up things, given up sweets or whatever you've given up. Um, and that's the period leading up to Good Friday and Easter on, on the 12th of, of, of April this, this year. And so what we're going to do for the next few weeks is look at John's account of Jesus last week uh, as he approaches Calvary. Now, putting together the events of that last week is quite tricky. If you read the different gospel accounts, things seem to be in slightly different orders. And remember, these, these are people writing down years later. John is writing uh, a good number of years later his recollection of the events. So we're, if you want to find out and try to piece them all together, there are plenty of commentaries there that will help you to do that. But we're really just going to focus on, on, on John's account for the next uh, the next few weeks together. Remember what his uh, reason for writing was. Right at the end of his gospel, John says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wasn't trying to write down every single thing that happened in in Jesus' three years in ministry. It would have been taken a lot more than his few chapters. He wants to write down enough so that we can believe and believing in him have life in his name. That's his purpose in writing. So Jesus has set up for Jerusalem. He knows what's going to happen to him there. Uh, Luke tells us that Jesus set out resolutely for Jerusalem. Knowing all that would unfold over, over the next uh, days, he set off with his disciples. And en route, uh, we know that he, he was called to Bethany, uh, where Lazarus, his friend, was ill and subsequently died. And Jesus raised him, called him from the, from the tomb. And Bethany was always a very special place for Jesus. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, his friends, lived there. Uh, he would visit it often with his disciples. Uh, Mark tells us that during uh, what we call Holy Week, the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, he would spend the nights there. He would be in Jerusalem during the day, ministering to people, and, and he would go off to Bethany. It's only a couple of miles away. Some of you have been there if you've been to the Holy Land. Only a couple of miles from Jerusalem. And it was from Bethany, actually, that Jesus ascended back into heaven. Uh, as his disciples looked on, he was taken back into heaven before their very eyes from, from Bethany. Well, many people, of course, had heard about Lazarus. Uh, we're going to look at John chapter 12. Let me just read a couple of verses from John chapter 11, just, just the, the previous chapter there. Uh, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. And essentially, the Sanhedrin decided that Jesus uh, must die. They decided that they had to do away with him. From that day on, they plotted to take his life, particularly because so many people were traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And having heard of what happened in uh, Bethany, only two miles away, they'd have made a quick detour to Bethany to to see Lazarus. And the more people who saw Lazarus, the more people believed in Jesus. Uh, And the the scribes and the Pharisees began to get more and more concerned. How are we ever going uh, to stop this, this movement? Uh, And they wanted Jesus dead before the Passover. Here's what we read in in, in verses 57 uh, and and, uh, the couple of verses after that. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for the ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. 
They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. So Jesus had to keep a bit of a low profile because he knew that the chief priests and the Pharisees were looking for him. And it wasn't that he was afraid. He knew what was going to happen. But even as we've been thinking earlier in our service, Jesus was in control of events. Remember what John the Baptist said when he first saw Jesus? He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Paul, writing later to the Corinthians, said, Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Jesus wanted to die at Passover. He was going to die at Passover as a sign that he was setting us free from our sins in the same way that the Passover lambs were sacrificed so that the people could be set free from Egypt. He wasn't going to be arrested slyly and disappear quietly as the chief priest got rid of him. He wasn't going to run to their agenda. Jesus was in control of these events. So he was keeping away from them because he was waiting uh, for his day. He was waiting for, for his time. And Jesus actually took his disciples away to a wee place called Ephraim. It's about 12 miles north of Jerusalem. Read there. Uh, Jesus could no longer move about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. So he stayed there, and then he went into Jerusalem, and he went backwards and forwards uh, to, to Bethany. Let's read chapter 12. We're going to read the first 10 verses of John chapter 12. And then we think about these for a few moments uh, together today. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom he had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with them. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. So here was this dinner being held in Jesus' honour, maybe in recognition, by way of thanks for the fact that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. It may have been, according to the other Gospels, in the home of a man called Simon the leper, presumably a leper whom Jesus had cleansed. He may have been a Pharisee who had suffered from leprosy. But either way, Jesus was there in the house reclining at the table with the other guests. And they'd have been reclining around the big square table, low table, with their heads towards the table and their feet away from the table, resting on one elbow. Lazarus was there with all the rest. There he was. He'd been dead. And he was alive, eating with the rest around the table. Uh, and true to form, Martha was busy serving. Uh, Martha was going about serving. Remember Mary and Martha? Remember the, the, the bit of an argument they had when uh, Jesus previously was there? Uh, and, and Martha said, tell her to help me with the, the, all the catering. She's sitting there listening to you and I'm running around doing everything. Martha was, that was just Martha. She was busy getting on with, with serving. And Mary was nowhere to be seen. And then suddenly there was a commotion. 
all this, this nice gathering of people eating and, and chatting. Mary appeared and she poured about half a litre, uh, that's Greek as a litre, about half a litre of our litres of perfume over Jesus' feet. Uh, and it was very expensive perfume and the smell soon filled uh, the, the whole house. And if, this, if, it, if that wasn't shocking enough, she then loosened her hair and wiped his feet w- with her hair. Uncovering a woman's hair in public was a disgraceful thing to do. It would have been, uh, that would have disregarded both religious and uh, social convention. Uh, you see a lot of uh, Muslim women today and women from certain countries won't, won't allow their hair to be seen in public. And loosening the hair was even worse. That had hints of immorality about it. That would suggest this, this is a woman of ill repute. If we, we can put it like that. This is, this is not someone uh, that, that would, should be in, in, in decent company. No decent woman would do that. Imagine the stunned silence in the room. People wondering how, how to react. Uh, what, what, are we gonna, what, what should we do about this? The guests were shocked. They were probably embarrassed for the host. What a scandal. Uh, the meal was ruined. Well, how, was, how was this happening in, in their midst? Uh, the disciples were indignant. Uh, Matthew, the other gospel, will tell us that as well. It wasn't just Judas. They all thought this was a bit wasteful. Uh, this could have been sold for the poor, of whom there were many at the time. Of course, of course, they were. It was a very poor part of the world at that time. And, you know, to be honest, if we were there, we might have felt the same. We might have said, that's a terrible waste. You know, if you were to go out and buy um, that amount of Chanel Number no. 5 perfume, that would cost you £5,524 for 500 mils today. This is from Boots. I looked it up the other day. Um, there was, this was pure nard. This was a, an oily perfume extracted from the nard plant grown in India. And it was worth a year's wages, 300 denarii. Uh, and I looked up uh, just again last week, the British median salary in, in 2019, according to the Office for National Statistics, was £30,400. So th- that was putting in today's terms, that, that was how much this perfume was worth. A whole year's uh, salary, a vast amount of perfume. And of course, Judas was raging and he feigned horror. Not, not because he really cared about the poor, but because he thought, well, uh, that money could be put in our money bag. I had a good, good cut out of that. And John only realized this writing years later. He said, Judas was a thief. Well, the disciples wouldn't have tolerated that, but John, it's only later they realized all that was going on. Uh, Jesus knew full well, of course, about Judas. Judas was part of God's plan. God was in control. Remember, uh, back in, in, in John chapter 6, Jesus says, I chose 12 of you, but one of you is a devil. Jesus knew full well. Uh, Judas wasn't in control of events. The chief priests weren't in control of events. Jesus was in control of events leading uh, to Calvary. And actually, Judas' hypocrisy was seen very soon afterwards when he went out and betrayed Jesus for 30 silver coins. Uh, That was the price that you had to pay to someone else if your bull gored their slave and killed one of their slaves. Judas thought Jesus was worth the price uh, of a slave and Mary thought he was worth a year's salary. 30 silver coins, again, it can't be exact in the, in the translation, but estimated about £85 today. £85 against a, a year's uh, salary. But Jesus' reaction was entirely different. Jesus said, leave her alone. Le- leave her alone. And Matthew records it. He said, she has done a beautiful thing for me. She, she's done a beautiful thing for me. You'll always have the poor, and it's absolutely right to help them. Jesus wasn't saying, <clears throat> forget about the poor. He's saying, yeah, you'll always be able to help the poor, but you won't always have me. Jesus knew that his life would soon be taken. Now, the, the Greek, according to those experts who know more Greek than I can remember, they say that 
verse 7, in the Greek it's slightly difficult to translate. It literally says, leave her that to the day of the burial of me she may keep it. That, that's a strange, kind of a, a bit of a convoluted phrase. But the NIV captures it very well where it says, it was intended that you should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Think what happened when Jesus was crucified. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea had to go along to Pilate. Uh, Jesus died sooner than expected. He had to go along to Pilate and ask, could he take the body? And Pilate said, yes, take the body. And so he took it and put it in his own tomb. And then on Easter morning, the ladies appeared with the, the spices and perfumes that would normally have been used to, to uh, embalm the body. And they were going to get the body out. And then we know, of course, Jesus' body wasn't there. Jesus had risen. It, was, it would have been too late. So Jesus is really saying, she is anointing me for my burial, knowing full well that when the women came to anoint him after he'd been crucified, he wouldn't be there. He'd have risen. Jesus said, she's doing things back to front. Normally this would be done after I died. Mary's doing it before. Leave her alone. This is a beautiful thing she's done for me. Well, the chief priests, of course, were completely frustrated, and they decided that not only would they kill Jesus, but they'd kill Lazarus. He was a bit of a soft target. Nobody was going to be crowding around, around Lazarus the way they were crowding around Jesus. But such was their, their, their determination to stamp out uh, what was happening. They were going to get rid of Jesus if they possibly could. What, what, what can we learn from th- this event today? Well, just a few suggestions this morning. I'm going to suggest that Mary's commitment was very costly. Um, As I say, to Mary, Jesus was worth a year's wages. must have been quite a wealthy family that that Mary was part of to to have that oil in the first place. But it was still a huge price to pay, a huge sacrifice to make. Uh, To Judas, Jesus was worth only only the price of a slave. Just a few silver coins that, that he could get for him. I wonder, what's our commitment to Jesus worth? Your commitment to mine. In terms of time, in terms of money, in terms of service, how, how much of a sacrifice are we willing to make uh, for Jesus, for the one who gave all for us? I wonder, are we guilty sometimes of giving grudgingly, of holding back? It's possible to offer Jesus half-hearted commitment, if we're honest. It's possible to be half-hearted about our, our commitment uh, to him. You know, your boss wouldn't accept half-hearted commitment at work. Uh, if you're a member of a sports team or whatever, the coach wouldn't accept a half-hearted performance. It, it's got to be 100%. In so many areas of our life, we have to do our very best. I wonder sometimes for God, are we, we willing to shortchange God? Is our commitment not what it should be? One of our principals up in school used to say he would never accept the AIDR attitude. I don't know if you know what AIDR is. I could do rightly. He said, we never accept that. You never say, I could do rightly. You do your very best. Your very best when you're teaching or students when when they're studying, but that can be our attitude to God. I'll do do rightly. Yeah, we'll we'll do what we can. C.T. Studd, uh, as you know, was a cricket player. Played for England against Australia in the the match in 1882, which Australia won, and that gave rise to the Ashes, which is played for regularly, of course. And then he became one of the so-called Cambridge Seven and went to China uh, as a missionary with the China Inland Mission. And he said, "If Jesus Christ be God and died for me." then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make uh, for him. What does our commitment to Jesus really cost us? Uh, Maybe God will be calling you or me to to look at our lives, to evaluate, to see have we slipped back in our commitment. What are we really willing uh, to give to him? Maybe God will call you to a complete change. Maybe God will call you to, to give up your job, to go and do something else, to go and do something different for him. 
uh, to make a real commitment to him. Uh, I was thinking when I was preparing this, uh, nostalgia this week, think of a couple of old Graham Kendrick songs, songs. Some of you don't remember Graham Kendrick. He was popular for a wee while. Some people didn't like him. But um, Here's a song. It's called Sympathy. Uh, I, I would sing it to you, but that would clear the hall very quickly. Uh, <clears throat> here's what, what, what he says. Master, you're always very dear to me. But it seems that my affairs, they fill my mind. Never mind. I'm sure you'll understand my situation. Please accept my Sundays and the dog ends of my time. I wonder, can we ever have that attitude to God? Well, yeah, you can have Sundays and I'll see them fit in a few things during the week. But other than that, my life's over to me. So her commitment was costly. Secondly, Mary's commitment was selfless. She didn't worry about what others thought. She was determined she was going to make this commitment for Jesus. She didn't care what the guests thought, what the disciples thought. She went ahead with it. And, you know, being a Christian won't make you popular in today's society. won't make you popular in your work. won't make you popular in your school or your university or your neighborhood. You may face, face puzzlement. People say, do you, do you really believe that? Do you really? And, you know, in 2020, you really believe all that stuff? They're almost sympathetic, you know, really? You know, can, you, can you really be, be caught up with all these myths from long ago? Come along next Sunday night here. Um, here's Act. Speak about that. You may feel, face criticism. You know, Christians are often called narrow-minded. We, we live in a tolerant society where anything goes. What's, what's right for you, as long as it doesn't harm anyone else, that, that's grand. We're considered judgmental, pointing out wrongs, talking about sin, unenlightened. How can you possibly believe these things with all that we know now, all this talk of, of God and, and Jesus? You may face open hostility. If you stand up for biblical values today in, in your work, you may face open hostility. Uh, ultimately, you may face prosecution. In many countries, people face uh, terrible opposition for being Christians. We, we don't know an awful lot about that here. But Jesus commended Mary, and he promised his commendation to all his followers. Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Our commitment to Jesus doesn't depend or shouldn't depend on what other people may think of us. Because if we commit ourselves to Jesus, to following him, there there will be a cost. There may be a cost in reputation. There may be a cost in society. Mary made a selfless commitment. She was committed to Jesus, and she wanted to show that, and she didn't care who knew it. And then her commitment was timely. She didn't put it off until it was too late. Uh, she couldn't have been aware of the events as they were going to unfold uh, in, uh, over the next few days. She couldn't have been aware that Jesus was about to die. Uh, I don't think anyone was really aware. Jesus had told the disciples that they, they hadn't quite got it. Uh, there would have been plenty more time for the poor, plenty more time to serve others in the community. Had she hesitated, that moment would have been passed. That moment to anoint Jesus' body for his burial would have been passed. Uh, she would have turned up at the tomb with her spices with, with, with the other women and Jesus would have risen. That opportunity to serve God, will it come again? That opportunity that God is placing before you or before me, uh, will it come again or do we think, yeah, yeah, but I've got a lot of stuff to do for now. Maybe, maybe in the future I'll do that. Maybe in the future I'll, I'll, I'll think about serving God in that way. Writing to the Galatians, Paul says, As we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people. As we have the opportunity, when the opportunity rises, let's take it. And Jesus himself said, just we read just a couple of chapters earlier, As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. 
Uh, who knows what, what situations will change uh, as we say go into schools to take assembly, as we pray for Rachel going into Scripture Union. Who knows how things will change? If we have opportunities to serve God today, we need to take them. Because we, we don't know what will change in, in our society. And of course, if you've never taken the step at all of committing your life to Jesus, if you've never made that commitment at all, why would you hesitate? How do you know what other opportunities you'll have to make that, to take that step? James says in his letter, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. And Aaron reminded us last week, actually, of those words quoted from the Old Testament in the book of Hebrews. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If God speaks to you and you think, you know, I need to make that commitment. I need to get right with God. I need to ask him to forgive my sins. Don't put it off. Don't put it off until tomorrow because tomorrow is promised to no one. The opportunity's there. Mary's commitment was timely. Our commitment must be timely. While we have the time, we need to commit our lives to God, to serve him, to follow him. And then finally, her commitment was fruitful. It had a very profound effect on all the others. Well, the perfume spread throughout the whole house, so it was physically uh, fruitful. Literally, people were aware of, of what had happened. But Mary didn't know how far reaching her actions would be. Of course, Jesus said, uh, everywhere in the world, Mark records this, everywhere in the world where the gospel is preached, people will hear about this. And here we're, we're hearing about it in Hollywood in 2020, about this woman who poured uh, ointment over Jesus, or perfume over Jesus' feet uh, back before his crucifixion. And, you know, we have no idea. Mary didn't know that we'd be talking about this in Hollywood. Mary probably had never heard of Hollywood. Uh, she had no idea that we, we'd be talking about this in 2020. And we have no idea how effective or how widespreading our simple acts of service can be. We, we've no idea about that. Help given to someone in work. Help given to, to a neighbour. Maybe going along to restore, to help give out food, or, or something in Belfast with a street reach, speaking to someone who's homeless, or serving on a lift team, or a, a bay team, or a beach mission team, or a scripture union team, teaching in Sunday school, looking after the children in the crash. Who knows what effect <clears throat> that, that will have? There's an old man taught Sunday school when I was growing up <clears throat> in a church called Alfie. And I, I remember... Uh, when, when he long since stopped teaching Sunday school, a very old man, remembering telling the story of a young man that he met uh, somewhere out in Belfast one day. This would be a man now, maybe in his twenties, who stopped him and said, oh, "Mr. Coe, uh, I remember you taught me in Sunday school, and I became a Christian long after I left uh, Sunday school, and it was something that you said that just prompted a thought in me when my life was in a bit of a, a state." And he said, you, "You taught us one day the, the story of the prodigal son." And I didn't think much about it at the time, but afterwards that story came back to me. And that was what led me to faith in Jesus. And Alfie knew the boy, so he knew who he was, and he was able to go back because he kept a diary of his Sunday school. Each Sunday he wrote a wee bit about how the lesson went. So Because he, he knew the young man, he was able to look up what year it was, he was able to look in his diary, and because he, he knew the lesson, he was able to find the date when he taught the prodigal son. And he looked at his diary and it said, class seemed very unsettled today. Don't think I really got through to them. Uh, and that was the message that years later would speak to that. But you just don't know. You don't know what that little act of service that you can do in Jesus' name uh, will mean to somebody for all eternity. Her commitment was fruitful. Your commitment will be fruitful. Paul says, writing to, <clears throat> to the uh, Corinthians, this is J.B. Phillips, paraphrase, let nothing move you as you busy yourself in the Lord's work. Be sure that nothing you do for him is ever lost or wasted. Nothing you do is ever lost or wasted. The disciples and the onlookers probably thought, what a waste. 
But Mary knew that that was an act committed to her Lord, the one who be her Lord and Saviour. I thought of another Graham Kendrick song. Uh, just came to my mind as I was <coughs> preparing this. It's called, um, How Much Do You Think You're Worth? There's only be tiny, tiny bits of it here. Uh, it says, how much do you think you're worth, boy? Now, I know that in today's world, I'd probably say boy, girl, but let's just stick the way it is, okay? How much do you think you're worth, boy? <clears throat> Will anyone stand up and say, would you say that a man is worth nothing until someone is willing to pay? If you heard that your life had been valued, that a price had been paid in the nail, would you ask what was traded, how much and who paid it? Who was he and what was his name? If you heard that his name was called Jesus... Would you say that the price was too dear? Held to the cross, not by nails, but by love. It was you broke his heart, not the spear. How much do you think he is worth, boy? Will anyone stand up and say, Tell me, what are you willing to give him in return for the price that he paid? What are we willing to give for the one who gave everything for us uh, as he died for us in Calvary? We're going to reflect on that just as we sing our, our final song today. And it's when I survey the wondrous cross, uh, as the musicians come up to lead us, as we think of what Jesus gave to us, what are we willing to give him in return? What are we willing to pay in return for the price that he paid for us? <clears throat>